because I didn't want to preach on something that we weren't doing. So we the people, and, and notice the title of this message, When Up is Down and Down is Up. I came in the sanctuary here and Greg back there said, it was kind of like yesterday, wasn't it? And I said, huh? What do you mean like yesterday? And he said, well, the, the wedding and the funeral. We had a wedding and a funeral, one right after the other, and, and what was so strange about it is the wedding included two people that were 70 plus years of age, and the funeral was for a 35-year-old young man, and you know, you'd think it would be just opposite, and it was just an up and down day just because of those situations, and yet in both, we were able to share Christ with the people who came. So God is good in spite of, you know, the things that we see and the things that we experience, the things that we feel. This morning, we're going to look at some kind of thinking that is, is rather different, rather strange to us as Christians. We're going to look at a culture that is very different, maybe from a Christian culture, but maybe not so different than an American culture. I, I want you to look at the first two verses that uh, Pastor Mary read. And so as they put those up there, look at verse 1 and answer those questions. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, have you had any encouragement by being united with Christ? Because you are a Christian, are you different? Because you are a Christian, are you different in other people's lives? Do you make a difference in their lives? Are you an encouragement? Have you been encouraged? And most of us can say, well, most definitely. We have been encouraged because of our union, because we're united with Christ. If any comfort from His love, anybody been comforted from His love? We saw a lot of that yesterday when we did that service, that funeral, and, and just the family. And, and what a marvelous story. I mean, what a sad story. And yet, how marvelous it was that through death and through the agony and the pain of cancer and, and all, we could see Christ's hand all along. And most of that came out of the mouth of a five-year-old. Was Luke 5? Out of the mouth of a five-year-old. Just asking questions. And let, let me tell you a couple of the, the fun things there. Mary and I went to their house and baptized the, the father who was dying, the mother, and the two children, I think eight and five. And Mary asked, and we were talking about baptism, we were talking about a relationship with Jesus and, and how we get to heaven because, you know, it was that kind of setting. And so Mary asked the question, you know, what must we do to get to heaven? Now, all of us are thinking we must accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I mean, yeah, right? Jesus is all... Barbara, you're lucky. I'm on a kind uh, thought today. So, here we are. What? She's done it again. She should know. I know she didn't set her clock up, so she didn't think you were here yet. Okay, so here we were thinking that this family would answer that uh, we have Jesus Christ in our life. So what must you do to get to heaven? And Luke says, die. <laughs> well, yes, you have to die first. That is right. You know, out of the mouth of babes come such truths. And then one of the other things, and, and we were talking and, of course, asking 
more questions. And it's, it's fun just to, to go through the mind of a five-year-old and the things that he would say. And, and you know, we were in the bedroom. The, the dad was going to get up and come downstairs to be baptized. Well, he didn't have enough strength to do that. So we went up there and, and asking these questions about salvation, it was just fun to, to see what went on. And Mary, do you remember the other one that took place? Later? Uh, yes, he, uh, yeah. Um, we, were, we were talking about Nick. Uh, this is the one that passed away. We were talking about the fact that it was so sad and the children learned that Daddy wasn't going to come back. He had gone to the hospital and that he was, he was going to pass away. And Luke said to his mother, he said, But Mommy, why are you so sad? He's going to be with Jesus. He gets to go talk to him. Yes, yes. See, out of the mouth of babes. And here we pile all of this other stuff as we get to be an adult, and yet in the mind of a five-year-old, he's got it straight. He's got the up being down and the down being up. And this morning we want to look at that. Put verse 1 back up. We want to see some more of this. Which is there. So if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, are you in fellowship with the Spirit of God? Do you feel the closeness of God within us? Do you feel the closeness of God leading us? If any fellowship with the Spirit of God, if any tenderness and compassion, and then look at verse 2. Look what it says. Then, so you have the if. And now you have the then. Then make my, who's my here? Paul, okay, because this is Philippians, remember. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So that is the setup of the passage today. If you have any of these things going on, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And then in the next verses, Paul goes down through and he gives us what we need to be doing. Now understand, in order to be able to totally understand what is being said here, what the mindset of the Greek world was at that time. Because when Paul says in verses 3 and 4, what he says there was utterly foreign to the Greek mind. The Greeks prided themselves on being better than everyone. I mean, they were the elite. They saw themselves as the best. They considered it something to be proud of, and they acknowledged their superiority. They were a race that were set apart. They were above everybody else. And yet, in comparison to the Romans, the Romans were barbarians. They were imitators, not innovators. But look at verse 5 then in this passage and see what is not optional here. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This morning I would say the same to us, that our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Is your attitude the same as Christ Jesus? And I know what your answer is already. Well, some of the time... How do we make it most of the time? How do we get it to be all of the time? 
And maybe it's too good to ask for all of the time. So what about most of the time? And notice also that as we do this, and, and this runs all the way through everything that we preach in this series, is it comes to us placing God first in our lives. First. But wait a minute, I'm not even sure I like that thought. Because if God is first in our lives and something else is second, right? And something else is third and something else is fourth and something else is fifth. And I only have so much room in my life. And I can put God first and these other things. And yet, why is not God everything in my life? Why is not God the superior thing in my life and everything else comes into relationship to me being a Christian? This morning, I want us to look at how up is down and down is up. And I, I want us to see how when we're involved in the lives of people, that that makes a world of difference. So that which is utterly despised by the Greeks becomes the highest virtue for a child of God. Let's look at this. Let's look at the up first. By the way, again, the up in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the Greek, which is really down. So what is that? Simply it's looking only to our own interests. Let's look at Jesus, who is God. Look at verse 6. What does it say there? Who, being in very nature God... Do you understand what that means? Some translations you'll see, and maybe it's even more accurate, whom in the form of God, who's generally associated with the outward shape of an object. And so it can also point and talk about things that cannot be detected on the surface, as in, are you in good form today? J. A. Moyer, a commentator, wrote that he possessed, Jesus possessed, inwardly and displayed outwardly the very nature of God. So get that straight. Understand that. That here, inwardly and outwardly, that Jesus had the very nature, the very form of God. Mary was sharing about a Bible study she did this week and how amazed that the people were to think that God actually we, through Jesus, actually was a human and had the fears and the joys, but also played games. You think Jesus played games? You think Jesus was a child and did what children do? Yeah, he was. The very nature, the very form. But look also what is in this. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So this word equality, we get something that means that the equal. And we get the word isometric or isosceles from this. And you would think that the ultimate, and the Greeks would think the ultimate was, that we strive to be God. Can you see that? That here, gee, the best, the good, the ultimate, the up, is to be God. We have some religions today that preach that, don't they? That you can become God if you're just good enough. By the way, we don't believe that. 
just to keep it straight here, God is God. We will never be good enough to be on the level plane with God. And then look at what happens here in verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus did not say, you know, I can be on the equal with God. My goodness, are you kidding me? So, up, and you can't get any higher than God, was not up. Instead, Jesus told us to look at the interest, the needs of others. So here the Greeks are going around saying, you know, we can be like God. We're the best. We're the greatest race. And Jesus is coming and saying, hmm, quit looking at your own interests. That really is not up. That really is down. Instead, look at the interests of others. Now, understand also that there was a figure in the biblical world that seemed to think up was up and that he wanted and he looked for his own interest. Do you think who that was in the Old Testament? That's very good, Satan. That Lucifer who we know as Satan, he was in a position as the highest archangel. He was in the position where he was entrusted by God to handle all of the worship for God. And his duty was to pass the commands of God down to the lower orders of creation and at the same time pass the worship of the creation back to God. I mean, talk about a great position. And yet Satan, Lucifer, wanted that for himself. He began to retain the worship for himself. And that was sin, and it brought instant judgment. Donald Barnhouse, in his book, The Invisible War, wrote, his rebellion was not a request for God to move over so that he might share God's throne. It was a thrust at God himself. It was an attempt to put God out so that Satan might take his place. His place as possessor of the heavens and of the earth. So do you get what we're saying here? That those who thought that up was making themselves the best, getting everything for them, really in the sight of God, was down. Up being down. Do you know any people like that today? Hmm. You know any people that think they are the best Gee, almost sounds like Americans, doesn't it? And I'm all for America. But I think our attitude sometimes is we are the greatest. What about Presbyterians? Do they think that way? Well, of course we're the best. Ask a Baptist. (laughs) Yeah, right. Ask a Foursquare. Yeah, right. Ask an Assembly of God person. Yeah, right. Ask a Lutheran. Ask a Methodist. Isn't it funny how we all think we're the best? We got it all right. (laughs) I'm really looking forward someday to getting to heaven and getting an overview of this whole thing and just to see how much we all have wrong on this. That what we think is right, that we think that we are the best, that all of a sudden we begin to realize that we have no clue. Well, we do because Jesus gives us a clue here. And so, 
let's look then at the down, which is really up. And that is looking to the interests of others. Remember, Paul is looking to convince these proud Greeks to have this mind among themselves that maybe they aren't as good as they think they are. So how does Jesus do this then? How does this take place that he's able to show what this whole up and down thing is? Well, maybe, maybe especially in the sight of the Greeks who thought they were so good, that if Jesus shows that he is God and yet takes on the position of man, that maybe they too will see that that up really is down and the down really is up. I can just imagine, look at verse 7. How does he do this? But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So, nothing? Why would he do that? He was something. In fact, he was the something. And yet, remember what he's trying to do here. He's trying to give us an example of what our lives should be like. To take on the very nature of a servant. Can't you just imagine the angels in heaven when God is talking about this with Jesus and saying, okay, you know, what should we do here? And they decide that he's going to come and be a servant. And can't you see the minds of the angels thinking, you know, we got this all planned out. We're going to make it so he comes in a blaze of light. He just astounds everybody. He starts shooting people with his lightning bolts. And, and you know, it's just a great thing. A servant? Are you kidding what's going on here? Why a servant? Or those who have in their mind, okay, we got it figured out. Because of the time, the culture, we're going to have him coming in on that white stallion, you know, with that sword that is blazing and gleaming, and, and it's going to be wonderful. He's just going to wipe out everybody, and oh, yeah, baby, I'm on that team. Hmm. A servant? Are you kidding me? Because remember what the Jews were looking for in a Messiah? Remember they were looking for someone who was going to come and defeat the Romans? And Jesus comes as a servant. Or can you imagine, well, okay, he's going to go into a culture that's Jewish, but also a Greek culture. Why don't we make him the great philosopher? He'll have all the knowledge, all the wisdom, and he'll just astound everybody with everything that comes out of his mouth. A servant? What's going on? Nobody's going to look up to him as a servant. You see, the down, which is really up, looking to the interests of others. Notice also in this, the servant submits himself to the will of his master. And again, the Greek word here for form or nature is the one used earlier when Jesus was in the form of God. He was both man inwardly and man outwardly, except for being sinful. Hmm. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. But look at the second thing here, being made in human likeness. 
And this whole idea of human likeness refers to the outward appearance of humanity. Outwardly, he looked to be a man. He had the form of man. He had the nature of man on the outside. God coming down and becoming man. Fully God, fully man. You ever wonder what that means? Ask Mary sometime, okay? Isn't that what an executive pastor does? Takes all the hard questions and... I knew, yeah, I knew we had to have in there and anything else that uh, the senior pastor decides. He was made in human likeness, fully God, yet in the body of a man. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man. Or maybe the closer translation would be in fashion as a man. And the Greek word schema here refers to conformity to human experience. James Boyce concludes, Paul says that Christ was not only man inwardly in all his feelings and emotions, that he was not only man outwardly in the sense of physical likeness, but he was also man in the sense that he endured all that we endured in this world, its pressures, its longings, its circumstances, its influences for good and evil. He was found in appearance. As a man. And look at the second part of verse 8. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, this kind of death was not normal. The Old Testament forbade it. It placed a curse on anyone who should die by this means. The Romans outlawed it except for the grossest of criminals. It was for barbarians. Hmm. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is placed in that position on a cross? He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But look what takes place there. Because what goes on is here is a man who is God, who is perfect, and he is taken and he humbles himself and he becomes obedient to be allowed to be hung on a cross. In the Greek mind, this would be heresy. This can't be. Because to be the best, you have to be the best. You have to be the highest. And Jesus says, no, wait a minute. To be the best, to be the highest, we humble ourselves. Even if it means we go to the cross. So... What does that mean to us today? What does it mean for us to go to the cross? Because in verse 2 it says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, by doing what Jesus did. What does that look like? How do we do that? How does the world see that? You know, it's a given that we go and we preach and we witness we live a life like what we were sharing earlier today about what you were doing out there. Praise God for that. You know, get this religion stuff out of here. Get this Presbyterian stuff out of here. Get Jesus in here and then get this Jesus stuff out of here. Get it into the world. You know, do you know who comes into this church? Mostly Christians. 
The only problem is Christians tend to leave what they have in here when they go out there. Let's take what Jesus has given us, a new life, a salvation, eternal life, and let's go out there and let the world see that. What difference do we make in this world as a Christian? Hmm. We give ourselves to love one another just as Jesus gave himself to love us. What difference does that make? Hmm. What difference does that make to you? How do you see yourself doing what Jesus did? You know, in just a little bit after the offering, I'm going to give you a chance to, to share. And I don't want you to share about, well, yeah, I think we could do this. I think we could do that. That's kind of like, I think they should do this and they should do that. But I want you to think, what can you do in this week to come that you become in the likeness of Jesus, that you make Paul's joy complete by doing this kind of thing. What thing can you do this coming week where you're taking what the world seems to be up and putting that down and what Jesus, by giving of himself for others, did, which seemed to be down, that really was up? We'll do that in just a moment. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you... You call us to service, that you call us to be your examples to the world, that your plan was that you would come and send your son Jesus and that we would go and that we, Christians, would change the world. Help us, Lord, to understand that you're counting on us, that it is our responsibility. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We could have the ushers come forward now to receive the offering. Oh, 
down here I am to say that you're my God you're altogether lovely altogether worthy altogether wonderful so wonderful to me and I will never never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross I will never know how much it cost sin upon that cross here I am here I am to worship worship you going to do this week? I mean, 
put verse 7 up there, Maggie, if you would, please. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. How do you make yourself nothing in the eyes of somebody else to serve them? Share with me. What could you do this week to be totally different, to really shock somebody by being like Jesus was? Yes, Chuck. I need to uh, be obedient when I see the opportunity. And what does that mean? What does that look like? Okay. Okay. And and in your job and what you do, what might be a scenario where I mean it might not happen but it might. How could you see that playing out? I know, you didn't expect that many questions. <laughs> Sometimes there, uh, there's opportunities uh, to defend myself. Ah. Uh, or my position. Even if it's shaky ground, I, I have to uh, step forward and defend myself. And in those circumstances, I probably uh, uh, should humble myself. Okay. So not become defensive in some situations, but humble yourselves and say, maybe you're right. You know, maybe I need to look at that. Okay? Good. Yes, very much so. Thank you. Somebody else, what would it look like in your week this coming week? James? Sometimes I really hurt people in my place and we lived in, in the park. Mm-hmm. I really hurt a lot of people. Okay. And so, but my anger problems I have. Okay. Sometimes you get... It's getting a lot better right now, but I'm still feeling it. Okay. Sometimes you get angry where you live. And the police always got me. Okay. And the policeman got you, huh? Ah. He's a Uh-huh. nice guy. Okay. So it was a nice policeman who got you. And sometimes you just have to be nicer then to the people that are there. Mm-hmm. Because I have a landlord named Miss, Miss Mo. Okay. It's my landlord. We live in the park. Mm-hmm. We, um, I want to help him. Okay. So maybe humbling yourselves would go to your landlord and say, thank you for doing what you do. Hmm. Very good. Thanks, James. Thanks, Mo. Yeah, there you go. Yes, Casey. Ah. Who needs a loving, kind word? Okay. Reaching out to them, whether it be a phone call or a hello. Okay. Just asking people about themselves and having an interest in other people and how can I put you in the workplace? Great. Someone who maybe someone's come alongside and just, hey, hi, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. I care about you or in ministry, you know, excellent job. Yes. You bet. 
So put the antennas on and, and look for those people that, that you can encourage, that you can lift up. Good, thanks. Yeah, Linda. Very, very good idea. Make comfort kits for some of the people in Japan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's tough because a youth's world is, you know, right there. Yeah. Okay, good. Somebody else? Yes, Bob. Okay. Very good. And, and especially now that he's lost a wife, when all of this busyness, you know, settles down, that's a really difficult time for people who've lost a loved one. So good. Thank you, Bob. Karen, yes. Okay. Ah. Encourage a family member by giving up your own agenda and finding time. And and what about what about to that family member you don't like? Do you have some of those? Oh, I do have a mind. Okay. Don't don't tell us James who it is. <laughs> All right, but maybe we find that person and we send them a card of encouragement. That would shock them. Or maybe we call them and just say, you know, thanks for being you. Are you kidding me? You don't know what they've done to me. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder what Jesus was feeling about those people who crucified him. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Anybody else? One more? Two more? Anybody? What would you do? Okay, you know that the teacher is going to be asking you next week how you did on your assignment. So, and she's tough. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thanks. Or maybe thanks, maybe not. Sometimes we don't like to be told to do something we don't want to do. Sometimes in those areas where we have to humble ourselves, that's not the easiest thing to do, and we don't like to do that. Help us, Lord, to to find ourselves where we will humble ourselves, where we will become nothing like Jesus became nothing, 
Lord, let us take his example and reach out to a world that so needs, so needs somebody to do that. Oh, Lord, thank you. Let me be that change agent. Let me be a difference in somebody's life where they can see me humbling myself, where they can see me being nothing. Thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.